Welcome you here to uh, Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. And I know we have lots of folks watching online and um, blessings to all of you. Uh, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called God Is, where we're discovering the truth about what the Bible says God is really like, not uh, what Hollywood portrays him like. Unbelievable, the this, this stupid stuff that comes out of Hollywood. Just really stupid, stupid things about God. Not what a particular denomination says about God. And I'll be frank with you, there's a lot of stupid things that denominations say about God. Not what you feel like he is. Not what your friends say he's like, but what the Bible says he's like. Sola Scriptoria. Well, what does the Bible say Jesus, God, is like? What does this book have to say about God? Two weeks ago, we, we kicked it off by looking at the fact that God is good and God is great, and there's no doubt about those two things. Then last week, we looked at the fact, or the, the truth, capital T, that God is all-knowing. Psalms 147 says, our Lord is great and very powerful. There is no limit to what he knows. That's what the Bible says about God. The big $10 word is God is omniscient. In fact, um, we ran out of them last week. We didn't run out of them for this hour, and then our printer broke down at night, so we couldn't make them for uh, Sunday. But we have this really neat little poster. It's a nice poster. It's called The Attributes of God. It's really cool. In fact, we had a big one made, and it's right outside the door out here. And... Um, I think you can pick this thing up out in our resource center for a dollar. And then there are frames you can get. This is just one of the frames we put in, but you can go to Michael's. We have one framed in there. It was like three bucks, five bucks for a frame. And this is the kind of uh, art that you ought to have up in your home. Not just can't have other kind of art up, but you ought to have this kind of thing somewhere hanging on a wall, especially if you've got children, so that your kids can see it, your kids can go by, kind of look at it. And this just gives you a lot of really neat thoughts. It's laid out in a very contemporary way, if you will, about some of the attributes of God. If you weren't here last week, um, you can pick one up out in the Resource Center for a dollar. They're, 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 they're nothing. We just made up a, a, a ton of them. Today, we're going to look at God's power, the theological truth that God is all-powerful. This is what theologians call the omnipotence of God. How many of you remember what Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, said when the angel Gabriel told her that she was pregnant with God's child? I want you to think. Think, think back. Those of you who have walked with the Lord, you know your Bible. Luke chapter 1 says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And beloved, that's a question that anybody would ask, right? I mean, I mean, she's never had sex with anybody. She knows that. She's never been intimate with a man. Her parents taught her the birds and the bees. She knew how you got pregnant. And now she's being told that not only is she pregnant, but she's pregnant with God's baby. So she asks, how can this happen? Well, how many of you remember what the angel's response was? That's right. Nothing is impossible with God. Beloved, the reason nothing is impossible with God is because God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. God is omnipotent. 
The great prophet Jeremiah said, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing, nothing, the Bible says, is too hard for you. Beloved, God has unlimited power. There's nothing that's too hard or too difficult for God to pull off. He's all powerful. That's what the Bible teaches. Psalms 147 says, he counts the stars and calls them all by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. Job said, I know that you, that's God, can do anything and no one can stop you. And beloved, Job is right. Nobody can stop God from doing whatever he wants. Why? Because he's all powerful. This is kind of the, the main point of the message. That God is all powerful. You see it throughout the scriptures and if you, you know, don't get anything else out of this message tonight, get that. And I hope that somehow as I walk through this, it's gonna lead us to a great moment of remembering the life, the death, and the resurrection, and the soon coming of Jesus Christ as we celebrate what we call communion together. Let me give you two places where we clearly see the power of God, okay? Number one, we clearly see the power of God and what he created. I think that's in your, your notes. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, in my humble opinion, the first three chapters of the book of Genesis are the most important chapters in all of the Bible. If you don't understand Genesis one, two, and three, then the rest of the Bible isn't gonna make any sense. Those 39 books in the Old Testament, those 27 books in the New Testament really won't make any sense if you don't understand the first three chapters of the Bible. The first three chapters lay the foundation for everything else, but in my humble opinion, the most important words in all of the Bible are the first five words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. See, if you can't get past those five words, then nothing else is gonna matter. In the beginning, God created, and here it gives us the big principle, the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light, because he's all powerful, you see. God said, let there be water, and there was water, because he's all powerful. In fact, there were all kinds of bodies of waters. There was, you know, lakes and rivers and oceans and seas. God said, let there be fish, and there was fish. All those bodies of water were filled with all kinds of fish. God said, let there be bugs, and there was. There were beetles and ants and, you know, crickets and flies and cockroaches or whatever. God said, let there be animals, and there was. There were zebras and kangaroos and lizards and dogs and porcupines and dinosaurs. God said, let there be stars, and there was, because he's all powerful. And today, what scientists get to do is they get to study all that God created. They get to try to figure out all of this stuff that God created. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of scientists out there that are blinded to the truth, and so they think that there was a moment when there was nothing, and then, boom, there was something. Think about that. There was nothing, and then there was something. <laughs> there was nothing, and then there was something. No, the Bible says that God has always been, and out of nothing, boom! He created. 
because he's all powerful. One theologian said, God is so powerful, all he had to do was speak and stuff happens. And the guy that wrote that, I thought it was funny because he's much more sophisticated than, than that. Now, I'll, I'll say stuff like that. But I thought, wow, that's pretty good. Psalms 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies announce what his hands have made. Day after day, they tell a story. Night after night, they tell it again. They have no speech or words. They have no voice to be heard, but their message goes out through all the world. Their words go everywhere on earth. In other words, when you look at creation, when you look at everything that God created, I don't know, look at your hand, it says something. It, it, it's just so obvious that there was somebody like, like really intelligent who put it all together. Creation just just screams at us that not only is there a God, but he's all powerful. I love what Warren Worsby said. He said, quote, creation speaks a universal language to all nations. Nature preaches a thousand sermons a day to the human heart. I've been all over the globe. I've had the privilege of speaking and preaching in all kinds of places, literally all over the world. And no matter where I go, I can go out at night and look up at the stars and go, wow, man, that's unbelievable. There's just gotta be a God. Everywhere I go, I can see critters and animals. Everywhere I go, I can look in the mirror and see, see my eyeball. And go, whoa, dude, the eyeball. There, you know, there was a moment when there was nothing, and then there was something! And now I got an eyeball. It's unbelievable. And it works in tandem with everything else in my system. I used to believe that. One of the things that nature preaches to all of us is the truth, capital T, that God is all powerful. I love to garden, and I tell you this a lot, and bought some flowers the other day, and, and I like to buy them before they've already, you know, popped and blown. I, I, like, to, I like to see that moment. And so I try to get into the little, you know, nurseries and, you know, plant the thing. And, and for me, it's a big moment. And you can tell my, I'm kind of a boring guy. But I'll put the thing in and I'll water it. And every day I'm going out and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. And then all of a sudden, boom, this red thing pops out or a yellow thing, or orange thing. And I just go, wow, that's unbelievable, man. As the Bible says, as Jesus said, Solomon in all of his glory couldn't even make himself look as good as something that God just creates. Like that, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Now, number two, or the second place that we see the power of God at work is this. We, we clearly see the power of God at work in and through the life of Jesus. The four Gospels are just loaded with incredible examples or demonstrations of God's power working through Jesus. Mark chapter four says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And that's the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the, the, the lake. And I've, I've been on that sea many, many, many times, okay? 
So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats did follow. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. I've been on it when it was just like glass. And literally, out of nowhere, the winds just come up. And it, it, it can get rough out there. It's not a very big sea, it's not a very big lake. But wow, it, it can get pretty, pretty crazy in, in a hurry, and that's what happens here. Jesus, the scripture goes on to say, was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're gonna drown? I mean, they're in a panic here, you got it? These were hardened fishermen. They've been out on that lake a lot of times. This was, this was a pretty nasty storm. They're fearing for their life. Don't you care? Wake up! <laughs> when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified and it had nothing to do with the storm anymore. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Beloved, because God created the air, which is wind that simply moves fast, <laughs> and because God created the water, he has power over them. Jesus just said to the wind, be still. And still. The boats rock and the waves, be still. Dude, if we'd have been on that boat, we'd have been just like the disciples. Whoa. Freaky. This is weird. This guy just told the wind to be still, and it was. He just told the waters to be still, and they did. At that moment, we see this great truth that God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants at any moment he wants. One day Jesus was at a wedding in John chapter two and they ran out of wine, so Jesus simply walked over to some big you know, jars or jugs that were full of water and he told the water to turn to wine and it did. That's power. That's the first re recorded moment of box wines, by the way. <laughs> I actually thought I'd get a bigger laugh. I, I did. When I, when, I, when I was writing it all out, I, I thought that was going to be big. It wasn't as big as I, I thought it was going to be. Don't do that tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's what Saturday night is. I get to kind of test out the material. See if it works or not. No, I'm just kidding. One time Jesus walked up to a tree in Matthew chapter 21 and told it to die, and it did. That's power, isn't it? The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 4 Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. That's power. Jesus had the power over the devil and demons. In fact, one time he told a bunch of demons to come out of a man and go into a bunch of pigs in Matthew chapter eight, and they did exactly as Jesus told them to do. That's power. 
Jesus even had the power over death. He had a good friend by the name of Lazarus who had died, and when Jesus found out about it, he came to the place where they had buried him in John chapter 12, and he simply told Lazarus to come out of the grave, and he did, because God is all-powerful. When you can raise people from the dead, that's a display of somebody who's all powerful, you see. In John chapter three, a man by the name of Nicodemus made this statement. He said, Jesus, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Beloved, the people uh, in Jesus' day, people like Nicodemus, and he was a religious leader uh, during that time, saw the power of God at work in his life. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss the power of God at work through the life of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. Okay, This is where we're going to get um, a little bit practical. If, you're, if this is your first time here, I hate just giving you a bunch of truth and then saying, okay, go home or you know, go to Marie Callender's or, you know, I, I always want to do the so what thing. Okay, so he's all powerful. That's great, Pastor. Now what do I do? <laughs> okay, so here, here we go. Think about this. If God has the power to simply speak and create the world and everything in it, and if he has the power to raise the dead, do you think he has the power to answer your prayers? Hmm. You see, you're sitting in church and obviously you're going, well, yeah, so, well, yeah of course he does. But it's easy to get outside these doors and get back to your neighborhoods and get back to your jobs at the mall or Rayleigh's or you're trying a case down at the courthouse, you're an attorney, or you're somebody who stays at home and you cook the meals and you clean the thing and you vacuum and you iron, you do all the stuff to make a house a home and you can forget about the fact that the God that you serve is all powerful. You can forget it. Hey, look, I work here and I can forget it. This was really good for me to study this this week. And I, like I said last week, if you were here, about every four years or five years, you know, every preacher at every church does a series like this. Where you just kind of take your family, your church family, through some of the great attributes of God. It's a great reminder. And I had a great time just remembering this truth that God is all powerful. Now I want you to follow me closely with something here, okay? And this is gonna, we're gonna land the plane and have a great time remembering the Lord, the all-powerful God, okay? Um, so, so I'm gonna walk through something. This is one of the great Bible truths. Gotta know this. And that is this, God lives in you. God lives in you, which means that God's power is in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who was given to you by God? And the, and the issue here is this. He, he says, don't you know? Some of you don't know that. And how I know you don't know that is by how you choose to live. And so the great apostle or brother says, hey, don't you know that God lives in you? You, Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the house that God lives in. God, God doesn't live in this building. The Bible says God doesn't live in, the, uh, in a building made with man's hands. If you know Christ as your Savior, he lives in you. Which means... His power is in you. Let that sink in for a moment. Ephesians chapter three, Paul says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work 
within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You see, God lives in me. The God who created everything lives in me. The God who said, hey, when, you know, settle down. Hey, waves, in me. Hey, water, turn to wine, in me. Lazarus, come forth, in me. <laughs> Think that through for a moment. He lives in me. That is a, a biblical truth. He lives in you. So obviously, Paul says, man, with God's power at work in your life, he can do things with your one life that will blow your minds beyond anything you, you could ever think of. And so, because most or a lot of Christians, especially in America, don't understand this truth, they sit around and twiddle their thumbs all day long and never do anything for the kingdom. They don't do anything. And the greatest power source known to mankind just is in them. Paul goes on to say in chapter six of Ephesians, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, I'm going to even get a little bit more practical with you, just real quick here. I'm going to give you two reasons this is so important, okay, why it's important that you have God's power within you, okay? Here's the first one. You need God's power to do the good things that God has planned for you to do. Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Long before you were ever a twinkle in your mama's, you know, and daddy's eye, God knew you, he had a plan for your life, and they were good things, they were awesome things, they were righteous things. He has a plan for your life and you need his power to pull it off. Philippians chapter two says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look, here's the deal. And you know what pleases him? Is when you're doing his plan for your life or his will for your life. It doesn't please God for you to do just any good things. God wants you to do his good things, his will for your life. And you need that power within you to pull it off. He tells the, the original 12 guys, uh, Rick read it right before he baptized. Hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples of all the people. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey. That's the key word in the phrase. Not just teach them. A lot of people know this thing and, you know, don't live it out. Sitting in here listening to truth is easy. The hard thing is to get up, go get in your car and say, I'm going to live it out. I'm going to obey it. That's hard. You'll, you won't get invited to the right parties anymore. And then he says, and then at the very end he says, and I want you to know something, guys. I'll be with you forever, he says. And that was important. The guys didn't know how important that was. Guys, I'm gonna be with you forever. What are you gonna do, hang out with us? That's creepy. I mean, like everywhere I go, no. He knew, I will live in you. 
and you're gonna need my power. They had no idea what awaited them. All of them were gonna die horrible deaths uh, other than John and his, his existence wasn't all that great. He was boiled in you know, hot oil and thrown onto a, an island called Patmos. And you today, beloved, need the power that they had to fulfill their, their mission for, for, for the Lord, if you will. See, here's the deal. In Romans chapter seven, we're given a pretty incredible picture of the human condition. Paul says this in Romans chapter seven. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Obviously, the Holy Spirit in us is good. So Paul clarifies that. He says, nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature, in my flesh. Your flesh is the headquarters of sin. This doesn't get to go to heaven. This is, this is just the earth suit. It just connects us to the physical. When you die, you take your last breath, this thing just falls to the ground in a pile of flesh and they put it in a pine box and it goes, you know, whatever it is, eight feet under the ground and you burn it up or whatever you do with it. This doesn't get to go to heaven, this. It's just full of sin. You'll get a new one someday, but this one doesn't get to go. It's been, it's been tainted with sin, our flesh. It's got a disease that can't be cured this side of glory. So God's just gonna get rid of it, throw it under the ground, worms will eat it, maggots will eat it, whatever happens, it's gone. No good, there's nothing. But the spirit within us, that's good. God's spirit within us is good. No doubt about that. And then he says this, I want to do what is right, but man, I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can I get an amen? amen. Anybody ever felt like that? I mean, you, you, you want to do the right things that the Bible says. You, you want to live out a godly life, a holy life, you know, and you want to do it. But man, there are moments when you just, man, I just, I, I fumbled that one. In fact, not only do you not do the good things, you end up doing the crummy things you don't want to do. I want you to understand this. I want you to really get what's happening within you. Before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, before you became a follower of Christ, all you had within you was what we call the old nature or the sinful nature or the Adamic nature or whatever, which means you were controlled by your old nature because it was the only nature you had. I remember those days when I was controlled by the old nature, because that's the only nature I had. All I cared about was fulfilling the desires of my heart. That's all I cared about. I remember those, those days. Some of you might remember those days. I mean, you, you were the boss of your own life. Remember that? You did whatever you wanted to do whenever you wanted to do it, and because of this, there was little conflict within your soul. Your flesh or your old nature really likes it when it's the center of attention. It likes to be the boss. Your flesh doesn't want anybody telling it what to do, especially God. In fact, the Bible says they're diametrically opposed to one another. Listen, when the needs of your old nature are taken care of, there, there was just rarely any conflict within your soul. I remember those days. They were fantastic days. But there came a moment when everything changed. There came a moment when you surrendered your life over to Christ. There came a moment when God opened your eyes to the truth, and it was God. He drew you to himself. He opened your eyes to the sin in your life, to what sin had done to you and your relationship with God. He opened your eyes to the truth that you couldn't fix yourself, that you were basically doomed you were a dead man or dead woman walking. 
And then he revealed to you the truth of what his son accomplished at the cross. That he died in your place. And that if you'd surrender your life over to him, if you'd put your trust in him, if you'd repent of your sin, he would come into your life and cleanse you from all of the, the crummy sin. I remember the day I did that. And at that moment, unbelievable. Changed the whole trajectory of my life, obviously. But here's what happened. All of a sudden, it created this weird conflict within me. I had my flesh, loved sin, loved to be in control, loved to be the boss. Now I got the Holy Spirit in me. And some of the things that I used to do that I liked, all of a sudden I felt crummy about doing it. Why? I'd even think about going and doing something and I'd go, what? I can't, what? I can't do that. Why? What's wrong with me? It was like I had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde going on. I had God's power in me to say no to the flesh, to say no to the Adamic nature, the old nature. Yes, it's powerful, the flesh is. But God has now given me and you, Christian, a power source that is greater than your flesh. So that you can say no. Now here's the deal. This side of glory, no one's gonna do it perfectly. As I tell you often, I don't always love people the way I ought to love people. I don't always treat people the way I'd want to be treated. I don't always do it all right, okay? I, I fumble the ball around. Nobody's gonna do it all right. But it's not God's fault that we don't do it right. He gave us the power to pull it off. But this flesh, there's a reason why it ain't going to heaven. And we're gonna wrestle around with it until the day we do take our last breath here. Here's the good news. Because God lives in you, his power lives in you. And it's only when you tap into God's power that you can say no to the commands that your old nature barks out at you. And it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. I've walked with the Lord a long time, a lot of decades, done a lot of study. I, but my flesh is always barking out commands to me because it still wants to be in charge. It doesn't want anybody telling it what to do. James adds an interesting layer to all of this. He said, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and he doesn't do it, that's sin. Man, you know, you can do nothing at all and still sin because if God is prompting you to do something through his word and you don't do it, you keep putting it off for whatever reason, that's sin. Listen to me, Christianity is more than simply avoiding sin. You know, whoo, whoo. Now, we're to avoid sin, but it's more than that because the Bible says, here, here's how I want you to live. And if you make the choice to go, ah, I don't want to do that, that's sin. So you can sin and by doing nothing. God wants you to join the church. And you know, I ain't joining the church. A lot of you have been Christians a long time. And you know what? God's word says he wants you to be baptized. And you've said, no, I ain't doing it. Your flesh is in control of your life, even though you know him. You're living in disobedience to God. You're watching it. people being baptized. We've been baptizing hundreds of people here the last month. And you, you, man, your flesh is so, you can just sit there and watch it. I ain't doing it. You know God wants you to give. You know he does. It's all throughout his word. But you know what? That little green thing goes by you. Not you, man. You're not going to give a thing. That's your money. And you know Christ. 
Listen, here, here's the deal. God's power is available to you right now to help you do these good things. Start giving. Be baptized. Find a place to serve. Mentor some teenagers. Use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given you to be a blessing to others. Weren't you blessed by all these singers and you know, musicians? Weren't you blessed by them? Aren't you glad that they use their gifts to redeem music? Play music that gets your minds on spiritual? Aren't you, glad? Aren't you glad, those of you that have children, that there are people who are mentoring your children right now in the children's ministries or the youth ministries? Aren't you glad that there are people out there that helped you get your coffee and your latte and your stuff? Aren't you glad that right now we got people walking the parking lot so bad, evil people won't break into your cars and steal your stuff because that's how evil the planet is, you know? Aren't you glad that there are people that ushers and greeters? In a minute, there's going to be a whole bunch of people, man, they're going to help pass out communion. Aren't you glad that there are people who do that? Guess what? God's power is in you so that you can do it too. So number one, we need God's power to do the good things that God has planned for you to do. And number two, it's this, you need God's power to keep doing the good things that God has planned for you to do. Hey, it's one thing to start. It's one thing. But to keep going, that's a whole nother thing. In Isaiah chapter 40, we sang these words a little bit ago. It says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary because he's all powerful. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, those who believe in him, surrender their life over to him, they're gonna find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You see, God's power is in you to give you the power to do whatever it is he wants you to do, but you also have that power to keep doing whatever it is that God wants you to do. I've been here 30 years. There's been a lot of people that have been in the band or the choir or they've been whatever. They're not here anymore. Just got tired. Just quit. Done. Instead of playing guitars to the glory of God, instead of using this tool, their voice to, you know, invite us all to worship and sing to him, they're using their voices and their guitars to sing about sinful things and evil things and wicked things. That's what they're doing. They actually get paid, you know, I had to make some money, you know, I get paid to sing about having sex with somebody that's not your wife or whatever, whatever the song was about or whatever, you know, crazy. Paul said this in Philippians chapter three, he said, I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I'll tell you what, this week, I, as I was kind of, you know, putting this all together. and Man, I just stopped right there for a while. That, that, that was Paul's goal. He not only wanted to know God, but he wanted to experience God's power in his life. And I sat there in my office on a number of occasions and said, man, God, I want that too. I don't want to just know you. And I know the Lord. Many of you know the Lord. You got to know him through that moment when you invited him into your life. You've been studying the word of God for years now. You know him through the pages of scripture. But have you ever prayed, God, I don't want to just know you. I want to experience your power in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my business, whatever it is. You live in me. I take you with you wherever I go. I want to experience your power. Here's the deal. You want to experience God's power, give you three things. You have to believe that God wants to give you his power. That's number one. 
You gotta believe it. If you don't believe it, then it doesn't mean anything. James, the half-brother of Jesus says, but when you ask God, you must believe and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like, like, like a wave in the sea blown up and down by the wind. Such doubters are thinking two different things at the same time, and they cannot decide about anything they do. They should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. For those of us that know Christ, we have to walk in this thing called life and believe. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Well, yeah. Do you believe he was put into a tomb? Yeah, I do. Do you believe he walked out of the grave? Yeah, I do. Do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. Do you believe that God's power lives in you? Well, do you believe that he's got the power to help you pull off whatever it is? Well, I don't really know about that. Well, then guess what? God says, don't think you'll get it then. It's there. But you've got to believe that God longs for you to live in his power. That's where it all begins. Uh, no, number two, you have to live a, 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 a humble life before God. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourself before God. Look, uh, there's a lot of people you can be in opposition to, you know, uh, but there's one person you don't want to be in opposition to. That's God. And as a believer, you can be in opposition to him. You don't lose your salvation. You're saved. But you're just living in an arrogant way. There's no humility in your life. And the Bible says that when you humble yourself before God, that's when God comes along and he begins to do something in and through your, your life. And the last thing is this, you have to take a step of faith. One of the things that I love about the Bible is, got a little kid named David, and there's this big giant, Goliath, and he's got his slingshot in his hand, and the Israeli army's behind him. Over there is the Philistine army, and he's been talking smack. I'm taking you down, God's with me, that's easy. That's easy, to, it's easy to talk. But there came a moment when the kid took off running. And now he's running towards the guy. Man, man, if I could go back in history, man, if I had the, the DeLorean, you know, and I could set the thing, get it back there, man. Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I believe God's power's in me. I believe it. Hey, you know, I'm living humbly before God. What is the thing that God wants you to run at? Because <sighs> that's when things get a little dicey. Listen, that kid, young boy named David, he knew God was bigger and powerful, more powerful than Goliath. He knew it. And he was living a humble life as a shepherd. But there he still was. Just because he believed God was bigger and badder didn't mean a thing. Just because he lived a, a humble life didn't mean anything. Here we go, man. And at that moment, you're really showing everybody, that kid really believes this. And what happens when one little kid throws the rock and hits the guy in the head? Man, all of a sudden, all the soldiers were all puffed up. Yeah! Now they're all into it, man. Because a one kid took a step of faith. One kid. So I don't know what that step of faith is you need to take. I don't know what it is. But I know if you know Christ, God's power's in you and you gotta believe that he wants you to have it. You just gotta live a humble life and then when he exposes whatever that thing is, then you just step out. You believe. You believe. I'm gonna ask our hosts and hostesses to come and this would be a great moment, family. As, uh, as believers, as you're holding on to that little cup and you're holding on to that little piece of bread, 
And for my young brothers in here, my young sisters in here who don't know much about this, let me tell you, the bread just represents the life of Jesus, the beautiful life of Christ. And one of the things God wants us to do is remember his life. It was a beautiful life. He lived a holy life, a righteous life, a perfect life, and he lived it for you. But the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It wasn't his life that saves you. It wasn't Jesus' teachings that save you. It wasn't Jesus' miracles that save you. What saves you is the blood of Jesus. And that's what that little cup represents. And this is all I want you to do. This is gonna be the last thing we do. We're gonna sing a song while this is being passed. You just hang on to those things. And I want you to dwell on the fact that God is all powerful. He's so powerful that those two things represent your sins being forgiven. And maybe there's some repenting that you need to do. I don't know. You just get yourself right with God. Hang on to those things. And then I'll come up after this song. And together in unity, we as a family of believers will remember uh, the, the Lord. Okay, Father, thank you for these things that are being passed out. May this just be a great moment where we consider our own lives, repent of any sin that there might be. God, thank you for being an all-powerful God. And I pray this in your name. Amen. My heart is so overwhelmed with pain I'm overcome by my sin and shame
Some talented people here. Nobody on the planet has ever heard that song before. That was the first time I ever played it. It was written by it was written by Tim. And uh, one of well, yeah, hard to clap. I know. Um, all right, everybody, stand up. Come on, stand up. It's kind of bizarre that we got these two, you know, little things here—a little cup and a little piece of bread. But Jesus said, family, at this moment, these two things are going to represent something unbelievable. The little piece of bread is going to represent my life. The second person of the Holy Trinity leaves the glories of heaven and comes down here to planet Earth, becomes a man, born in a little town called Bethlehem. 33 and a half years, lived this beautiful life holy life, righteous life, perfect life. And he lived it for you. He lived it for you. For you, for me. Hey, brothers, sisters, let's remember that beautiful man, his life. But here's the, here's the deal. Born in Bethlehem, 33 and a half years later, he voluntarily goes to a cross. God is all powerful. He didn't have to go to that cross. Romans didn't put him on that cross. The Jews didn't put him on that cross. Oh, you can extrapolate that out maybe as you read through the scriptures. But when you understand that God's all-powerful, he went to the cross on his own because he loved you, loved me. Saw that sin had so goofed up our lives. And he came, he had to shed his blood, not like our blood, our blood's tainted with sin. His is royal blood, perfect blood, holy blood, righteous blood. It's his blood that cleanses us from our sin, thus making everything right between us and the Father. Brothers, sisters, let's remember the blood of Christ. Father, man, I sure enjoyed tonight. Nowhere, nowhere I'd rather have been. Thank you for the music that took my brain to a, a beautiful place. I'm thankful for the obedience of those that were baptized, God. That was beautiful to see that. I'm thankful, God, that we had a chance to give as a family. I'm thankful, God, that we have the word of God, that it can be proclaimed, and together we can hear your words. And then, God, to end with just a great moment of remembering you, your life, your death. God, thank you for loving us and caring about us. And as we leave this place, God, may um, we 
Remember, we take you with us wherever we go, <laughs> which means we take your power with us wherever we go. May it make a difference in our lives, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Go grab your kids. Hurry, 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 go.